I'm Lorraine Gordon. Today on Ground Cover, we will be hearing from Derek Smith. Derek is a mixed farmer from Gyra who has come along the journey from being a conventional farmer to a regenerative farmer. He started his days back at the old Orange Ag College and over the years has had a number of problems in his farming practice around crop health issues, animal health issues, weeds, fungal diseases, insect pests and was always looking for the magic bullet that just wasn't there. So Derek started asking some really critical questions and basically questioning the status quo. And what he found was the problems really do start with the soil. Everything starts with the soil. Whilst the soil might look physically fine, underneath there's some really complex issues going on. And we'll hear today about the William Albrecht methodology that Derek practices and the fact that Derek is now one of the only Kinsey Albrecht soil practitioners in Australia. So William Albrecht, for those that haven't heard of him, was a soil microbiologist, a very important individual in his time, the first to actually discover the link between soil health, plant health and human health. And there's a very interesting story that comes along with that. William Albrecht also was the first to discover cation exchange capacity, which we still adhere to today when we uh, look at our soil tests. So without any further ado, we will now introduce Derek Smith to the program. Welcome to Ground Cover with your host, Kerry Cochran, proudly brought to you by the Regenerative Agriculture Alliance and Southern Cross University. This is a show for farmers by farmers, a uniquely Australian podcast series exploring real-life stories of land managers who have undertaken the transition from conventional farming to regenerative agriculture. Each week, we'll share a unique and honest conversation about the challenges and opportunities of regenerative agriculture so you can make informed decisions about how to best manage your land. Derek, change means letting go of the old to take on something new, a different approach or a different way of looking at the world. I'm wondering what you let go of in order to do what you're doing. What were you doing back then? What was your starting point? Well, I guess it started uh, soon after I left college at Orange, Kerry. We um, came home and uh, started farming and we did what we uh, had learnt and it worked okay. But more and more, I ended up with issues of crop health. We had some animal health issues as well, but my focus was on the on the vegetables and particularly potatoes at that point. We couldn't deal with some of the issues we had. We had some serious weed issues as well, but some fungal disease issues in the potatoes and insect pests, and they just seemed to be getting worse. We Back at that point in time, I, I was uh, pretty conventional and we used whatever we needed to use to uh, deal with the problems, but the problems just seemed to be getting worse. So we, we knew we needed to have a different approach and we just went looking for that, what that was. And that's been the journey, I suppose, to, uh, to get to a point where we've found something that actually works. So when you went looking, what did you look for? What were, you, what were your questions you were asking? I guess at the point I was asking all of the people that were advising me, whether that be a Department of Agriculture or some private advisors that I, I'd known from other 
areas and uh, we, you know, they gave some ideas of what might work. Some of those things worked a little bit as well and we, we had some progress, but more and more I, I realised that the problem was in the soil, that we, uh, you know, I'd have some paddocks that would have a serious problem with, a, with an insect pest or a disease and another paddock that I was farming that very same year with all of the same uh, season and everything else and, and uh, didn't have the problem. I realised at that point that I was dealing with a soil issue, but I, I didn't really know how to address it at that stage other than going through the, the very conventional uh, systems that we were using at the time. So what was your soil like at that particular point in time? In, in terms of its uh, uh, physical and chemical sort of attributes? Well, physically it looked fine. Our, our soils up here uh, vary between uh, uh, red clay loam through to black clay, uh, sort of mod- medium clays. Uh, the, the red clay loams were what I was uh, working with with potatoes mostly. The, the physical attributes of the soil were fine. We, we didn't seem to have a problem there. We didn't uh, seem to have too many problems as far as the chemistry went. I was doing testing fairly regularly and it looked okay. And I was lucky enough at some point around 1990 that I uh, found a book. And uh, after reading that book, I got a bit interested because it, it started to explain some of the reasons why you get some of these problems from a soil point of view it made more sense than anything else I'd come across up until that point. Over the years, I played around with it a little bit and tried to adapt it through a, a book, which, uh, as you you know, it's uh, it's problematic sometimes when you just, uh, you've got one book and you're trying to actually adapt it to a property and uh, and some of the things don't didn't fit. We had all sorts of other issues and uh, and a lack of understanding because not all of the, bits that I needed to put together were actually in that book. So um, I learned over time that I needed more. What was that book? Uh, The book was called Hands-On Agronomy. It's by Neil Kinsey, who trained directly under William Albrecht. Neil is probably the world's most well-known proponent of the Albrecht methodology. He's uh, still quite active. He's... um, I guess he's in his mid-70s at this stage, Neil, but he's operating in, I think it's 30 different countries and deals with a whole host of ag- agronomists or, or consultants as, as I am with him now. And we've uh, learned a lot in the last five or probably 10 years. I, I've probably uh, learned the major amount of what I need to know. So we need to know now a bit more about Albrecht and because that seems to be the answer to your particular question you asked some time ago. Yes, that's right. Um, William Albrecht uh, started back in the 1930s at uh, Missouri University and uh, he, he did lots of trials. He, he was actually uh, a soil microbiologist. He did a lot of work with rhizobium which was a very new thing back in that time. He worked at that university through to the 70s, the early 70s, and even in his, his retirement, he maintained an office there, and I believe he, he was, uh, you had to book about two months ahead to get in to see him. But uh, he, over time, put together a lot of information based on his observations and testing of uh, soils 
all over the United States. And one of the more interesting uh, bits of research he did was uh, to go through all of the the records in first world, the First World War and the Second World War to see um, they were conscripting people to go to war at that stage, but they'd send a doctor and a conscription officer around and, and the doctor would actually cull some of those people, basically. They weren't good enough or sound enough to go to war without having problems. So William Albrecht looked at every little town in USA and drew a map of all of the rejections and he found there were areas in the uh, Midwest and the High Plains, particularly in the USA, that had virtually no rejections of anyone, whereas on the East Coast and West Coast, that was it was pretty common. So from that information, he then started taking soil samples and started correlating it to that uh, evidence that he picked up earlier. And then he went further with testing soils in cropping situations and uh, changing them but he, he the basis of of his area is is that he figured out that uh, appetite soils which is a, a calcium phosphate based soil seem to work better than just about anything else William Albrecht actually discovered the cation exchange capacity system that's used in basically all soil testing today he had certain base saturation percentages of that cation exchange capacity that worked better for people that were farming or grazing or whatever else they were doing with soil. So, so this is the traditional 50 to 70% of cations in a particular or type of cations in the soil we're talking about? Yes, pretty much. Uh, uh, I guess it varies a little bit depending on the, the type of soil because it's not, a, not quite a one-size-fits-all. If you've got a very heavy soil, you need more calcium, basically, because calcium opens soil up and softens it. If you've got a very sandy soil, you probably need more magnesium to tighten it up a bit. So, you know, each each soil type has its own base saturation percentage ideal that works for, for that, that operation. Now, you've raised a couple of points there that I think we need to tease out a bit. And one is, what is the connection there between this cation, the cation exchange capacity, and these uh, folk who were not able to go to war, uh, there seems to be a, there's a connection there. I'm not quite sure what it was or what it is. Sorry, Kerry, I should have explained that better. In, back in those times, people used to eat out of their own backyards or, or certainly eat locally. There wasn't a lot of trucks uh, taking food from one side of the country to the other. And so you, you were pretty much eating food that was grown within maybe 100 miles of your uh, living area. So uh, if, you were, if you were lucky enough to be in an area that had very uh, well-balanced and uh, healthy soils, then the food that was produced from those soils was in turn well-balanced and healthy. So those people didn't ha- suffer from nearly as many ailments. The biggest issues they checked for were teeth, feet, because, you know, you, as a soldier, you're walking a long distance and uh, if your feet break down, you're... You're a burden to uh, to the group that you're with, or if you can't eat, or you have too, uh, uh, constant toothache, that's that's an issue as well. You you'll be uh, an inferior soldier. It was based on good soil, growing good food, and keeping uh, these people healthy. And uh, uh, young people in those areas that had that good soil uh, didn't have any of those problems. 
Right. Now, in terms of your farm, you had problems with your potatoes in terms of pests and diseases. So what you're discovering now is that somehow or rather this cation exchange capacity is the factor that led to you having problems with your potatoes. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't only that, Kerry, I suppose. And, and it's one of the problems we have with the Albrecht system because a lot of people think it's, it's all about the uh, cation exchange capacity and those base saturations. Uh, William Albrecht, actually, the first thing he looks at is NPK. And a lot of people don't realise that because, as he says, if your nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium are limiting, you're simply not going to grow a crop because that's what crops are made up of, most of all. The, the thing that set him apart from the general run of consultants is the fact that they, he then looked at the calcium-magnesium ratios, and uh, which had a, quite a large bearing on the physical attributes of that soil. So uh, if you could get the physicality of the soil right and you had the right food in that soil for plants and microbes alike, then the microbes could live in that soil and do the, do the services that are required to create healthy soil. So where does this leave the relationship between the application of a fertiliser, let's say it's superphosphate, and the fungus or fungi that is in the soil because... You've got this lovely relationship, as we found out, between fungi and plants, where the fungi supply uh, phosphorus to the plant. Now, is there an antagonism existing in that relationship or not? Yeah, there are. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting uh, to put it in that regard because, of course, we have fungal organisms that are critical to the health of our soil and we have other fungal organisms that are going to cause us a lot of grief uh, with disease factors in crops and, and pastures. So we basically want our soil in, in a condition that it uh, enhances the fungal organisms like mycorrhiza that uh, actually enhance the fertility of that soil and the, um, the performance of the crop or pasture and keeping away the ones that create disease. Now, it's, it's, it sounds like there those two things are at odds with each other, but Generally speaking, the, uh, the disease-causing organisms are, live in an anaerobic zone and the, the good guys, so to speak, live in an aerobic zone. And if you can have your soil in an aerobic state where roughly 25% of the volume of that soil is actually air, then you have, stand a much better chance of having a healthy soil. So what happens, uh, Derek, if you put superphosphate on the soil? Because from what I've read, that will lead to the mycorrhiza being um, destroyed. Yeah, there there's seems to be some truth in that, Kerry. It's, um, it's like any microbial activity in the soil. We've got microbes that do all sorts of different services for us and for the plants and animals that depend on the, that soil. When we come along and intervene in that system and actually supply the very thing that those microbes supplying, then the, the requirement for them is less. And so if uh, you've got mycorrhizal fungi that are supplying phosphorus to plants and you dump a heap of uh, soluble phosphate on that soil, then that mycorrhizal fungi is not really as necessary. So plants don't tend to feed at those uh, sugary exudates that they pump out through their roots and, and that, that microbe uh, tends to disappear. That, that's a fairly simplistic version of it, but it is reasonably correct. 
So could you tell me what you put on your soil today then uh, in terms of your need to have uh, disease-free crops and a better production cycle happening? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, different for every soil, Kerry. The first step is to, to take a soil test uh, to see exactly what is in that soil. And uh, we send our soils, unfortunately, we have to send them to the United States to get tested at a small lab over there that set up doing the testing exactly as William Albrecht uh, wanted it done. From that very accurate analysis of the soil, we then put on what's, what's missing. That may be lime. In our case up here, we've used a lot of lime. We were very low in trace minerals. We are low in phosphorus and sulphur. The, the reason for superphosphate's existence for putting out that phosphorus and sulphur is very evident, but it, it's uh, just that the superphosphate's in a form that doesn't actually build those nutrients, particularly phosphorus, in the soil. Superphosphate's a very good plant feeder and you get an immediate response, but there's a little downside in it that it, it's very acid for one where it uh, dissolves. Each time that granule of superphosphate dissolves, it uh, actually burns out a little bit of humus and the, the uh, burning out of that humus actually releases all of the nutrients in that humus to become available for the plant. So uh, when you put superphosphate on it, it's made to look very good, but basically it destroys the humus level in the soil over a, over a long period of time. When you first started this, so how many years ago was that? And when you look at your soil today, can you notice a vast improvement? Yes, you can. With all of the soils I, I deal with, because I've, I've got quite a few clients that are using this system with me now, and uh, one of the things that is really evident is within two or three years, you get a softening of the soil. So you can dig the soil much more easily. It's, it has much more air in it, and uh, its, its ability to take on uh, water as rainfall or irrigation when required is much, much greater. The other thing that I've noticed in fairly more recent times is any of my clients that I've got a series of soil tests on the same paddock over maybe three or four years, uh, we're seeing quite a, a, a big build-up of humus in that soil, uh, like measurable humus. And that, that in turn releases nutrients and holds water for the, for the plants that grow there. You've been soil testing for some time now. Do you use soil tests for soil carbon and uh, have you seen an improvement? Yes, we, we do. The, the measurement that the lab uh, uses that I, I use, it's a humus test, a test colloidal humus. Colloidal humus is the, the, the measurement that's taken on soil and the reason for that is because it's the active part of the carbon in the soil. William Albrecht wasn't as interested in any of the other forms of carbon, but he was very interested in the humus levels. The higher the, those humus levels are, to, to a certain point, the better your soil seems to function. What are your levels like at the moment? or how, By what percentage have they improved? Yeah, the, we, when we started off, they're a little bit variable because we, we're in an area here that's been farmed, or some of our paddocks have been farmed, for a long, long time and others haven't. And uh, so some of those farmed paddocks had levels down as low as around 2%. Almost all of them now are up around the 35 to 4.5%. So it has improved significantly. I've been working with a, uh, a wheat grower growing organic spelt wheat now for five years. 
and we've seen his levels improve by two and a half percent over that time in continuously cropped wheat. So um, it, it's not the ideal way to grow uh, grow humus, but but we've still managed that under this regime. Derek, we'll come back to this in a moment, but let's moving on to uh, the label regenerative agriculture. Do you feel comfortable with that particular label? Do you feel inside that particular term? Yeah, I, d- I do like it certainly more so than uh, the uh, predecessor of sustainable agriculture because I, I think a lot of people were uh, trying to sustain a broken system and that's not, not ideal for anyone. I, I, in fact, ran a course uh, when I was teaching an organic farming course at TAFE, a diploma and certificate four in organic farming. And uh, when they did a restructure of TAFE, the the course prices went up significantly. I resigned and came home and taught from home. And uh, the the course that I ran, I called uh, regenerative farming. We uh, looked at all things that uh, have any bearing on regenerative farming. And uh, I I think it's a good name because it, it implies that we actually need to to do something to improve what we've got. We're not just maintaining the status quo. Mm-hmm. Well, you seem to have regenerated your farm by doing what you did so many years ago. And what you're really saying, I think, is that other farmers could learn a lot from what you're doing in terms of the term regenerative. Yeah, Kerry, I think one of the things that I feel for a lot of people that are getting into this uh, system in more recent times because I guess over a period of time, we learnt a lot about what works and what doesn't work. And I think probably understandably, but um, sadly, a lot of people go for cheap options that look like it's not going to cost them very much money, so let's do that. I used up a lot of time and, uh, and resources uh, chasing some of those methodologies, I suppose, to... Uh, to try and get an answer. I was looking for a magic bullet and uh, we all like to do that, I suppose, but um, generally they're not there. It's generally about the, the whole system and what we're doing within it. And some of those things fall outside of the, the soil realm as well because you can you can balance the soil up and make it perfect chemically and then uh, destroy it by doing uh, things that you shouldn't do in your management. So we do, do need to look at more than just just the soil. Back in the days of uh, Orange Agricultural College where you were, uh, you probably learned a lot about the parts, that is how to make little parts of the system work. But I think you seem to have graduated into understanding the whole and the systemic behaviour of nature and how you fit into that. In other words, your questioning has led to a broader self. And because of that, you can now label yourself probably as regenerative. Yeah, I, I guess... Um one of the big moments that I had in managing our property was uh, when I did a course called Farming for Profit under Stan Parsons. Uh, I did Stan's course back in 1991 and we came home and started fencing our place up to rotate our stock a little bit more effectively. And I suppose since that time, we've, we've built that into a better and better system until where we have a fairly high intensity sort of a rotational system that we operate now and it, it works a lot better than our original uh, system that we put in place. But a, a lot of the the concepts that we learnt through Grazing for Profits with Stan uh, made a, a significant difference to the way we looked at running our farm. Any regrets at all? Uh, not particularly. Um, 
I, I suppose you look back and you think, gee, I, I could have really fast-tracked all of this if I'd have known what I know now back when I was starting out. So the only regret I have is it's taken a long time to put the pieces together and, and, and I don't think you ever put them all together. We're still learning and uh, we, we add different bits to the puzzle as we go along. And I suspect we do that all of our lives. I don't think that will ever stop. Or if it does, maybe we should uh, should give the game away. When you look at the community that you work with, to what extent have they welcomed your ideas with open arms? Or do you find it a battle? Um, it's New concepts are always a battle, Kerry. I, I suppose it's an internal battle to start with because I, the first thing I needed to do was to convince myself that this thing worked. Once I convinced myself that it was a good idea to do it and uh, it solved some of those problems, uh, if not all of those problems that I originally faced, then I started to talk about it to, you know, friends, uh, relatives that had similar issues and uh, we, we got a few people doing uh, doing parts of, of it. Then bit by bit, I, I put together a, a couple of soils courses that I run pretty regularly now and I've got a, a following locally as well as in a few other uh, areas. So I've um, just in the last three or four years that we've been in drought, it's curtailed a lot of the work or the inputs that people are using in our district because there's just no growth. But uh, I've found clients in irrigation areas all over the country virtually and uh, we're doing work mostly from afar, just looking at soil tests and giving recommendations to them what to do to, to grow their particular crop. And it's one of the beauties of the system. I don't physically need to be on the property in question to figure out what the issues are. I can mostly find out what needs to be done through the soil analysis. It does pay, though, occasionally to be there physically because sometimes you pick things up that you would not have picked up otherwise. I wonder if we might just touch on very briefly the connection between the elements in the soil, the nutrients, and the microactivity. When you test, soil tests, for example, are you testing for uh, soil microbial activity, fungal activity, soil organisms, in other words, to find out whether your soil is becoming enriched? No, I'm not, Kerry. I, the, the soil test I do is purely chemistry. And I'm very interested in the soil biology, as was William Albrecht. As I uh, originally said, he, he started off as a soil microbiologist. One of the things William Albrecht discovered very early was that some soils are very active microbiologically and other soils aren't. And he wanted to know why some were and some weren't. He figured out that occasionally there was a toxin that actually precluded microbes being able to live in that environment. But largely it was the, it was the elements, the, the minerals, the, the fertility of that soil basically that uh, allowed them to live there because so the microbes are a bit like us and plants. They, without the uh, NPK, the calcium, the magnesium and all of the trace minerals, they can't live there because they need all of those building blocks their own bodies so if they're missing then uh, there will be some of those microbes that will be missing over time William Albrecht discovered that if he got the chemistry of the soil right the microbiology fell fell into line automatically we've done a lot of work up here with different groups uh, I've had a few farmer groups that we've done some research with and uh, we've tested the microbiology through Elaine Ingham's labs to um, 
find out what we had in our soils, whether that worked better or not. Sadly, the, the results of that were that we, we didn't learn very much at all through those tests. The reason is we, we only know, they think, about 5% of what there is to know about the soil microbiology. It's a bit like the human uh, gut genome project that's happening at the moment where, where babes in the woods as far as knowing the full deal on, uh, on how it works. In soil microbiology, it's even worse because uh, we're guessing at what should be there and we're making a few assumptions and they're not always right. So I've almost stopped looking at the biology at this point in time and just concentrated on getting that chemistry right. And uh, it seems that the biology, does, they start to do their job anyway and we're getting the results that we know that we can get when the biology is performing properly. Derek, this series is on regenerative farmers and it'd be interesting to know what your, as a final comment, uh, what your hope is for the regenerative farming system. My main hope is that there are a lot of tools in the tool bag, so to speak, when you're going out there to do regenerative farming. You know, grazing management is one of those that we touched on earlier that I think is a really key uh, tool that we need to use effectively. The other one to me is the soil and getting soil balanced correctly so that it works properly and uh, it's quite amazing the difference between an imbalanced soil and a soil that is balanced properly where we're seeing uh, some of the encroachment of uh, some of the grass weeds that African lovegrass, uh, serrated tussock, Chilean needlegrass, those, those kind of grassy in, invasive weeds are reduced significantly once you get the balances right. I'm, I'm not saying that you beat them totally at this point in time. We haven't been uh, u- using them in that way for long enough to know, but uh, it certainly makes a difference. It makes a huge difference to um, in farming operations where you're deal- dealing with fungal disease. You know, there are other tools, like if you're a farmer, you, you need to get your cultivation system uh, working for you and uh, some people are doing serious damage to their soil with cultivation and there are other people that are still cultivating that are actually enhancing their soil with cultivation it's a it's a matter that we not that we don't do it it's just getting it right there are good ways to do things and uh, not so good ways yeah as a final comment i I applaud um, the fact that you look after your ecosystem so well. In other words, you put the ecology first and you wait to see what emerges from that. And I think uh, that's probably a, a great way to define regenerative agriculture. In other words, if, uh, if the ecosystem is good, then everything is, is um, harmonising quite well. Yeah, we, we practice this thing called agriculture, don't we? And uh, it's not what the natural world used to be, but uh, we've modified it to suit our form of doing doing uh, production of food or fibre or whatever else we do. And so we've changed it pretty dramatically in most places, but we still need to set the system up so it is an ecology that actually functions as a, as a healthy ecology. Otherwise, the, the plants that we want to grow in that system aren't going to function correctly either. So, um, so it is important, even though it's a, it's a modified system, that it's a, a healthy modified system. Derek, thanks awfully for your time and your comments, and I think they fit very nicely into all that we're trying to achieve with these podcasts. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time to do it, Kerry, and uh, 
it's uh, very uh, a lot of fun to catch up with you and touch base with you again after uh, quite a long number of years. Thanks for listening to Ground Cover. Hit subscribe now so you never miss an episode. And for further resources on this topic, head to scu.edu.au forward slash RAA. This podcast has been produced by the Regenerative Agriculture Alliance on behalf of Southern Cross University, a collaboration designed to build a more resilient agriculture industry in Australia.